Thank you very much, worship team. We are grateful for you. I enjoyed the extra music, and I could tell that some of the children were enjoying it too. They were just screaming for joy. Did you hear that? And by the way, parents, do not take them out while I'm preaching. (laughs) I mean, unless you're like, they're screaming their heads off, and you say, okay, we've got to take them out. What I'm trying to tell you is, it doesn't bother me. I'm glad that you're here. Thank you for coming this day. It's very appropriate, I think, to come and worship on this day, especially. I think we're probably the only church, possibly, in the world who might be using this as our Christmas text. Ruth, chapter 4, verses 13 through 21, I timed it out perfectly so that we would end the book of Ruth on Christmas Day because it is very fitting to use this as a Christmas text, and we'll see why in a moment. Before we get there, would you please bow with me? Father, I'm grateful for the fact that you've brought so many to your house this morning, Lord, and I pray that you would please help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, I pray that you would please help me to proclaim your word rightly, lovingly, boldly. Lord, I pray that you would please, I pray that your Holy Spirit would apply these eternal truths to our hearts and also give us the grace to walk in them, to be convinced of these truths, convicted in our hearts of our own sin, and Lord, for those of us who still need this, Lord, to be converted in our own souls even, I pray. We love you, Lord. Help us to please be focused on these wonderful truths this morning, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I've titled the message this morning, Faithful Followers Find Fulfillment. Faithful followers find fulfillment. We'll talk more about this as I continue on through this message. But really, one of the main points is going to be that those who follow the Lord not only fulfill God's plan, but are fulfilled by God's plan. Faithful followers find fulfillment. Like we'll see in this text, we left off last time, Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, is able to acquire Ruth as his wife, finally. And it's this great, um, what do you want to call it, convergence of all these wonderful providences of God that have come about to bring Naomi and Ruth back to Bethlehem, though they came back under very bitter circumstances. God continued to lovingly provide for both of these widows in that Ruth happened to be able to find grace from someone who was kind to her, and it happened to be this gentleman who's a kinsman redeemer, and it happened to be the first field that she went to to get food, and it's just God's fingerprints are all over her life. So he's able to receive Ruth as his wife, and then the wonderful blessing comes. Look at verse 14 with me. Let's start there. Then, well, Ruth conceives and has a child by the wonderful grace of God. Then in verse 14, then the women said to Naomi, this is the mother-in-law, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. 
They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. We'll come back to that last part in just a moment. But remember, we've got to remember, because if you miss this, you miss um, a blessing, actually. These people who saw this blessing in their lives, not just of a child, but a child in the line of David, who's in the line of the Messiah, these people are chosen to be a fulfilling puzzle piece in the line of the Messiah. Remember when they existed. They existed during the time of the judges. A very bad time. If you're unfamiliar with the Old Testament, the judges was a very bad time. Hearing the judges, the book of the judges, should be something akin to when you hear about the Great Depression in the U.S. Nobody hears that word and says, oh, I get the warm fuzzies when I hear the word Great Depression. No, hearing the book of Judges would make you have that same feeling. It would make you say, ooh, yeah, that was a despicable time in Israel's history. All types of blatant sin, um, what we call syncretism, mixing the worship of Baal with the worship of Yahweh and calling it the worship of Yahweh while they're worshiping idols and bowing down to them and doing all types of detestable practices. It was a horrible time. But the Messiah, his line is continued through faithful followers even during that time. None of that time of the judges shook God in any way. He was never worried. He's going to fulfill his plan. And he's going to fulfill his plan through faithful followers. And that's always true. That never changes. Not ever. doesn't matter what covenant you exist in. They existed still under the Mosaic covenant. We exist under the new covenant that Jesus brought in. But that truth, that principle, never changes that God fulfills his plans through his faithful followers. Let's talk about these people who he fulfilled his plans through. Unsuspecting, and I'll explain why even Boaz is a bit unsuspecting. But let's talk about Ruth. Remember, she's a Moabite. If you're thinking, I don't know what that means, Cohen. Don't worry, I didn't used to know what that means either. A Moabite is not a Jew, all right? As you might recall, the Jews came from Abraham, who had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob, but Jacob had the 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. So that's where the Jews came from. But where did the Moabites came from? The Moabites came from a man named, you'll never guess it, Moab. He was the son of a man named Lot. You might remember Lot, Abraham's nephew. Well, Moab was born of illegitimate circumstances, even gross circumstances. You can go back and read that in Genesis yourself. We will not mention it here in mixed company. But Moab was born, and then from him come the Moabites. So he's not a Jew. She, Ruth then, is a Gentile. She's not a Jew. And actually, the, Mo, the Moabites even had a bad name for a long time because of them not cooperating with God's plan and even working against God's plan and against God's people. So, Ruth is from a people group who kind of have a yucky background. But here she is, accepted as one of God's followers and used by God in a mighty way. She becomes the grandmother of King David. I'm sorry, the great-grandmother of King David. 
What a blessing that is. Though, however, she was a Gentile, but she becomes a follower of God because when Naomi and Ruth both lose their husbands, here we have two widows. Naomi says, there's nothing left for me here. I'm going back to Bethlehem where I came from. My life is bitter. My life is bad. Ruth says, I will not leave you. Your people, my people. Your God, my God. Nothing but death will separate us. That day she committed, probably had already started committing her ways to the Lord, had seen something different about Naomi and Elimelech, her husband. Seen something different in them. These Jews from Bethlehem, they're different. And that day she said, I'm committing all the way. I'll be a faithful follower of your God, and nothing but death will ever separate us. She was so loyal to her mother-in-law and became a righteous God follower, so much so that Boaz picked up on that. When Boaz saw her and heard about her and watched her character, not only was Boaz said to be a worthy man, we're told in chapter 2, he later says about Ruth, you're a worthy woman, and everyone sees that. That word, worthy, in the text has an idea of someone's character having weight to it. So it's a godly character. Who's Boaz then, who God uses? Who's this faithful follower? What's his background? Well, he's a Jew. His father, his name is Salmon. So he's a a Jewish man. We know that Boaz is this wealthy landowner. We know that he's a faithful follower of God. But did you know that even Boaz has a bit of an interesting background, too. Let me explain more. Let's look at Matthew 1. Either turn there, or it's, it probably will be on the screen behind me as well. Matthew chapter 1 is one of those portions of Scripture that a lot of you like to read right before you fall asleep. It's the genealogies. But once you learn who these people are in these long lists of names that are hard to pronounce. Genealogies are actually very, very rich. Whenever I first started reading the Bible, when I first became a Christian, as you know, Matthew starts off with these genealogies. People say, read the New Testament. I was like, okay. So you're all excited and you get to these genealogies and you're thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm lost already and I'm just a few verses in here. What's, what's going on? But it's connecting Jesus to Abraham, which is very important because he's got to be the fulfillment of this Messianic line to be the Messiah. But that's not my point here. My point is Boaz and Ruth. Look at this, Matthew 1, 4 through 6. And Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, there's our guy, by Rahab. And if you know who that is, there's a phrase that rolls off the tongue right after you say her name. Rahab the what? Yes, the harlot. If you're King James, if you're NIV, the prostitute, right? Rahab the prostitute, Rahab the harlot. Unfortunately, when we say her name, that's how we say it, right? This was the Rahab in Jericho who hid the spies. That Rahab. She's Boaz's mommy. She birthed Boaz. So this man, this faithful God follower who just is held up as this image of godliness in the book of Ruth, his mother was a former prostitute who turned 
to the God of Israel right before the Jews came in and the God of Israel destroyed Jericho. So this man was raised in a home by a woman who'd been changed by the Almighty God. No wonder he was so godly. He had a mom who'd been forgiven and who knew what it was like to live in sin and wickedness and now be changed by the Lord himself and be accepted in a family you have no business being in. And that made all the difference in Boaz's home. Just like some of you in here who have children. Actually, I think all of you in here that have children. I know your backstory too. You've told me your backstory. And it's like mine. It ain't pretty. Okay? And children in here, if your parents have you here this morning, they are devoting themselves to the truth and they believe that the truth is valuable just like Rahab believed it was valuable and they're doing what people that have come out of darkness and been brought into the light, light that they have no business being in but the God of heaven brought them in by grace through faith, they are exposing you to what can change you too. And if they brought you here this morning, children, it's because they love you and they want you to be in that truth as well. And that's the same type of house Boaz was raised up in by parents who knew they've received grace from God. And then if we keep going in this text here in Matthew, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And this keeps on going until we get all the way to Jesus. This genealogy is very rich, and it contains two women. One was a former prostitute, and one was a Moabite. That's amazing. That's amazing. I used to work with a guy who was not saved. I've worked with a lot of people who aren't saved. This one gentleman that I was sharing truth with, he learned that Moses, he learned this from me, that Moses had murdered a man once. And he learned that David had committed adultery once. You know what he said in learning that? He said, wow, well, I guess there's hope for me. And I said, yes, of course there's hope for you. Haven't you been listening the past year? I've been talking to you about Jesus. Yes, the Lord Jesus, his birth came in connection with a bunch of sinners who God saved, a bunch of sinners that had no business being in the family of God. And guess what? None of us in here have any business being in the family of God. No one in heaven deserves to be there. But everyone in hell deserves to be there, right? Grace. So, Ruth, faithful follower who finds fulfillment. Boaz, faithful follower who finds fulfillment. Who came from Rahab, who became a faithful follower. And found fulfillment. She actually said in Joshua 2 11, when the spies came in, this is what Boaz's mom said before she even had Boaz. She said, For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. She was already making true belief statements about the Almighty when the spies came in. And that's why God spared her. And she ended up marrying a Jewish man named Salmon. And from Salmon came Boaz, and then from Boaz comes. Obed. Now, let's keep going on in our text in Ruth because we get another genealogy. 
And this one's powerful as well. Notice it says in verse 18 of Ruth 4, now these are the generations of Perez. Now why do we start there? Perez was the son of a man named Judah. Perhaps you've heard of Judah because Jesus is often called the line of the tribe of Judah, right? That's why this starts here and goes all the way down. You'll see it goes all the way down to David. So we got Judah's son all the way to David, who we know is the great King David, the David that killed Goliath, that David who's in the line of the Messiah. So why start with Perez? I was asking myself that even when studying this and and studying it further, I learned that, oh yeah, this was Judah's son. So we're connecting the Messiah to Judah. And he's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. You know, there's this movie. I've never actually seen it. I've only seen clips. I probably will never see it. I don't want to see it. Um, mainly because of this scene that I'm going to tell you about. It's this race car racing movie. And it's just a comedy. But there's this race car driver in it. And he's praying to give thanks for the food. And he's praying to, he says, baby Jesus. And someone says, why are you praying to, why are you praying to baby Jesus? And he says, well, I like baby Jesus better. And I was thinking about that. And I was thinking, yes, I think the world does like baby Jesus better. Let me tell you why. Because babies aren't a threat. Of course he likes baby Jesus better. See, baby Jesus wasn't yet at the point where he could walk and talk and do things. See, once Jesus grows up and starts doing things and talking, he's a threat because he's pronouncing the truth of Almighty God. And he's creating a division in the world between those who are saved and those who are lost, those who believe his word, those who reject it, those who love him and those who hate him. So of course the world likes baby Jesus better. Of course the world likes Christmas a lot better because the Jesus in the manger, he seems just like the Lamb of God, meek and mild, lowly, not a threat. But Jesus Christ is also the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's got nails and teeth, and he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he will come again one day and right all wrongs, and he will separate the sheep from the goats, the saved from the lost. He will take those with him who are his, who've repented of their sins, put their faith and trust in him, believing that he kept the law on their behalf and believing that he took the wrath that should have been theirs. That's what everyone who comes into the family of God must do. He will separate them and take them with him into glory from those who have refused to submit themselves to the word of God, refused to admit that their sin has separated them from a holy God, refused to believe this book, everything that it says, not only about God, but about you. Because the Bible says that we're sinners who've separated ourselves from God. Notice I said separated ourselves from God. We did it. We, through our own sinful actions and disbelief to this book, separate ourselves from the Almighty God through our actions. He is the one who initiates the reconciliation. That word is never used unless there's been a separation. 
Like if I was saying to you, oh yeah, I'm counseling this couple and, and they're going to be reconciled. You would know immediately, ah, things are bad, right? So Jesus, is, Jesus Christ is the one who brings the reconciliation between us and the Father because our sins have broken that relationship. And Jesus Christ is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He will execute wrath on those who do not believe. However, he's also the one who kept the law on your behalf, the law that you've broken, the law that I've broken, and then died as if he was a lawbreaker, though, taking the punishment that should be yours. So he's also the one who's done everything that's needed for you to be saved. Isn't that good news? It's such great news. So do we love baby Jesus? Oh, yes. Do we love babies? Oh, yes. We get all these... The story of a, a baby being born brought fulfillment back into Naomi's life and brings fulfillment to God's plan. We love that. But we love Jesus being born as a baby because he grew up to finish the work of God that he was sent to do so that a people can be purchased by his blood, his death, burial, and resurrection. So I want to break down this, these four words this title that I gave and explain to you why this title is important, why this, why this is a wonderful truth that we've got to get. If you don't mind, if you'll put the uh, title of the sermon back up on the screen again, because I'm going to go through these, these, these four words, faithful, followers, find, fulfillment. And now notice I don't, I don't just say followers. It's qualified by something. Faithful followers. What do we mean when we talk about the word faithful? Well, faithful means you keep your word. Faithful means you're true to what you say and true to what you believe. Like if I pointed it at Brian, let's say, and I said, he's a faithful brother in Christ. You would just assume, you would have some assumptions. Oh, well, he probably believes the truth of the word of God. He's, he's, um, he doesn't veer from it. He's obedient to it. You probably think those things, and you'd be right if I used that word to qualify him. Because if I used it about a marriage. And I said, he's been a faithful spouse to his wife. Well, you know what I mean. Those holy covenant vows that he made on the day of their marriage, he's been true to them. He hasn't broken them. It's just like we use, we use a word in place of adultery whenever we talk about someone committing adultery, and we, we talk about that as being infidelity. You've heard that word in place of adultery before? He committed infidelity? Oh, there's been infidelity in the marriage? What is that? Unfaithfulness. It comes from the Latin word fide, which means faith, or fidelis, which means faithful. We might have some um, marines in our midst here. Perhaps, I don't know. You've got a logo, Semper Fi, yes? You know what that's short for? Semper Fidelis, which means always faithful. So in fidelity means unfaithfulness. So to be faithful means that you believe God, you, you trust God, you, you obey God, you're committing yourself to believe and do those things that he says. That's what it means to be faithful. You believe, you trust, and you obey God. You show yourself to be a faithful follower of God. Well, now, what's it mean to be a follower? That's what it means to be faithful. Believe, trust, obey, 
Shows that you're faithful, just like if you're faithful to your vows. Believe, trust, and, and do them. Carry them out. What's it mean to be a follower? Well, if you're going to be a follower of God, it means essentially you go where he goes. That's what it means to follow someone, right? You go where he goes. You do what he does. You say what he says. You walk where he walks. When Jesus said to his disciples, who were his followers, he said to them, follow me. Now, did that mean, hey, just follow me down this alleyway here, and then when we get here, you can stop following me now. I just wanted you to walk right over here with me. No, it didn't mean that. It meant, be my disciple. Mimic me. Live how I live. Talk how I talk. Do what I do. Faithful followers find. Faithful followers find fulfillment. And when it comes to finding something, what does it mean to find it? It doesn't mean you just discover it. It means you discover it and you receive it. Like if you told me, oh, we found our lost dog. You know what I wouldn't ask you? Did you pick it up and put it in your car and bring it back to your house? I want to ask you that. If you found something, I get it that you received it. Hey, I found a dollar today. Did you pick it up and put it in your pocket? It's implied, right? It's the discovering and receiving. So receiving what? Receiving fulfillment. Fulfillment can be used in a few different ways. And it has different meanings. Thankfully, all of them are true in our statement. Faithful followers find fulfillment. Number one, faithful followers find fulfillment in that they find that God fulfills his word. He fulfills it. He keeps his promises. He keeps his word. He does what he says he will do because, why? Because he is the truth. He's going to fulfill his word and keep his promises because he not only does what's true, he is the truth. He calls himself that in John 14, 6, the Lord Jesus does. He's a true and trustworthy God. The second way we can use fulfillment here, and faithful followers find fulfillment, they find that God fulfills his word. They also find that his word and him keeping his word fills us up. We find fulfillment in him and him keeping his word. Word, because we were made to not only worship God, we're made to have fellowship with God. When God made Adam originally in the garden, he made him to have fellowship with him. They were in perfect fellowship together. You know why? Because he'd not sinned yet. And they were in perfect fellowship. And that would have gone on forever had Adam and Eve not sinned. But that's where we find our greatest fulfillment because that's what we were made for. My dad and I were working on something once and we had a wrench, and we were turning something. And then we found that we needed to then, to then hammer that thing. But my dad didn't have a hammer. So you know what he did with that wrench? He used it as a hammer. You know what he did with that wrench? He broke it. Because you're not supposed to use wrenches as hammers. They don't work as well. They sort of work. You can make it work sometimes. But... When things aren't used for what they're made for, they don't find fulfillment. And so when we don't exist in what we were made to exist in, we're not fulfilled. You ever wondered why we're so extremely medicated in this country? And we're so extremely anxious and we're so extremely depressed? 
And also, have you noticed that as a nation, we're becoming so much less and less Christian? There's a correlation there, okay? There's a correlation there. I get it. Yes, even Christians can struggle. Totally get that. Totally understand that. But what I'm saying is this. We're increasingly depressed. We're increasingly anxious. We're increasingly fearful. We're increasingly medicated. And I don't know if you haven't noticed this, but there's a boatload of drugs in our country too, right? While we're all the while becoming less and less and less Christian. People are looking for fulfillment. And they see Jesus and they say, no, definitely not him. He's into this righteousness stuff. And I'm into this sin stuff. I like being my own God. How's that working out for you? We find our fulfillment in following God. The way he says to follow him, which is the best way. We think that submitting to God makes us look weak or submitting to God is bad in some way. Jesus Christ submitted to everything the Father told him to do. Did Jesus look like a doormat to you? When you read the Gospels and he says, not my will, but yours be done. I've come to do the Father's will. I say only those things the Father tells me to say. Do you look at Jesus and say, what a doormat. Look at him submitting to the Father. What a wuss. No. You look at him and you say, what a wonderful man. Submitting to God is good for you. It's how you find fulfillment. It's how you find it. That's good news for us. The third thing that we want to talk about in fulfilling is this. This is really great. God uses us to fulfill his plans. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why he would use Cohen Ezel to fulfill any of his plans, but he chooses to. Faithful followers find fulfillment in their own lives and they find themselves fulfilled and fulfilling God's eternal plans. As you walk in obedience to God, you're fulfilling his plans here on earth. As you walk in obedience to God, you're doing what he wants you to do and what he wants to do is bring his kingdom here on earth. God is bringing his kingdom here on earth and he does it through his people. What a privilege. As we walk according to his word, we bring the kingdom here on earth. We're representatives of his dear son, Jesus, and we share that truth by which others can be saved. Isn't that awesome? So those who follow the Lord find a God who fulfills his word, find that they are fulfilled in him, and they find themselves fulfilling his plan. So that's what I mean when I say that faithful followers find fulfillment. Let me end with these examples. We've read these texts already, portions of them. Luke 1. Turn to Luke 1 if you have your Bible. I want to look again at something that Elizabeth said and something that Mary said around the birth of Christ that is exactly what we're talking about today. When Elizabeth is speaking to Mary, she says this in verse 45, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment, there's our word, of what was spoken to her from the Lord. 
She's saying to her, you're blessed, Mary. You're fulfilled because you believed that God would fulfill his word. Do you see that? It's exactly what I'm talking about. It's exactly what we see in Ruth and Boaz. And now Elizabeth is saying it. She's just wording it differently. It's the same principle. Blessed are you, Mary. Why? Elizabeth, tell me. Because you believed that what God said he would fulfill. You believed he would keep his word. That's what we just talked about. That's what we just talked about. And Ruth and Boaz see God fulfilling his word through them. Why? Why them? Why not other people around them during the time of the judges? Because other people around them during the time of the judges weren't faithfully following him. And what do we find? That only Jews get to follow the Lord? No. Even Rahab the prostitute, even Ruth the Moabite, even you sitting in here. Which is what Mary says. Look at Mary in her song in verse 50. Luke 1, 50. And his mercy, his blessing, is for those who fear him. If you're fearing God, you're walking in his ways. You're following him. That's what it means. You see a God who is to be respected, adored, believed, bowed down to, submitted to, loved, all those things, that's what fearing him means. It incorporates all those wonderful things. His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. And it's for anyone who fears him. Notice she didn't say his mercy is on the Jews who fear him from generation to generation. It says those. And what's the Old Testament, New Testament narrative tell us? He accepts all those who come to him. By faith, even all those who come to him by faith, Christmas morning, 2022. If you've not done that yet, I encourage you to do it. And let me tell you this the thing that's keeping you from making a commitment to Jesus, let me tell you this right now. I'll go on record in saying it. The thing that's keeping you from making a commitment to Jesus Christ, if you haven't yet, it's from the wicked one, it's from the devil. Because he would love nothing more than for you to join him in hell. Because he's going there and misery loves company and he is so wicked. He'll pull you down and your children down. He does not care. He does not care. He's out for you and he hates you. The Lord Jesus, however, loves you. My words are not folly and they're not foolishness. They're faithful to the word of God. Okay? I'm telling you this as someone who cares about you. What other motive would I have? I don't get paid more if I say certain things. I'm saying this because I care about you. I'm a beggar trying to tell another beggar where I found some bread. And this is the bread of life right here. Amen? Lord, we are grateful that you sent your dear son. We're also grateful to see how you fulfill your word and how you bring about the Messiah through faithful followers. Lord, thank you that Ruth and Boaz are among that number. Thank you that Boaz's mom is even among that number. Though she was once a woman of the night, Lord, you save sinners. Lord Jesus, thank you that you kept the law that we could not keep. And thank you that you died a death that should rightly be ours. The wrath of God should fall on us, Jesus, not on you, but you took it. You took our wrath and we thank you for that. And it all came about because you were born. You stepped into flesh and became like us. 
Thank you for that, Lord, so much. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.